Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Meredith Brown, who had an entire career in the U.S. Marine Corps, was enlisted and then accepted an officer's commission as a logistic officer. She has a bachelor's, two master's degrees, currently works in the world of finance, and is also a published author and writes under the name of C. Marshall Turner. We have so much to talk about, Meredith. Let's get right into this. Sounds great, Summer. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start by going way back and touching on growing up in Louisiana and how this developed into a career in the Marine Corps. Well, I mean, you know, my childhood in Louisiana, South Louisiana, just across the river from New Orleans, um, had a wonderful childhood. Uh, Our backyard bordered across from an irrigation ditch. It was just sugarcane fields. So it was, it was very idyllic and had a great family structure. And then at the age of 12, I saw the movie Taps. I don't know if everybody remembers that. One of my favorites. Yeah, one of mine too. And so it inspired me to want to go to boarding school, military boarding school. Until then, I had been raised in Catholic schools. And I love my Catholic faith, but I really wanted to give that a shot. And so my parents said, make good grades this year and we'll send you. And they kept their promise. So seventh through 12th grades, I went to military boarding school got a taste of, of the military life through that and decided to uh, become the mar- a Marine. Well, I didn't actually decide to become a Marine. The Marines found me because at the time in 1987, I didn't know the Marines took women. So I tried to join the army since I was going to boarding school out, outside of Louisiana. I was going to boarding school in Alabama. The recruiters couldn't figure out the army recruiters couldn't figure out who was supposed to recruit me and do the paperwork. So the school counselor said, well, you need to be a Marine anyway. I've got one. He's on his way. He's going to meet with you in 30 minutes. So he met, this recruiter met with me in Alabama. He said, well, actually, since you're from Louisiana, the paperwork needs to be done there. I've already called the recruiter there. When you go home at Christmas, link up with him, and we'll get you started. So that showed that the Marines really were mission-focused, and I, I became a Marine through that, much to the chagrin of my parents uh, they were upset because they paid for private education. And then, of course, I enlisted. Um, but it served me well. It served me well. And it, it, it did teach me, as my dad likes to say, it taught you what you at least don't want to do, which is half the battle. And then, right. as you mentioned, I got my degree, and I took a commission in the Marines through officer candidate school. And, and I loved it. I loved being on active duty. I loved being a Marine officer. Well, let me take a few steps back because I do want you to go back to growing up in Louisiana and I want you to touch on some of the things that really just highlighted your youth. What excited you about Louisiana? Because there are some questions later down in the interview that I want to, that will connect this question. Okay. Well, when I, I grew up and uh, there were, in my generation, there were, I say my generation, there were four kids. There's nine of us total. There were a couple, uh, there's a generation ahead of me of, of two girls. Then we had four girls in our generation. And then three, two more girls and a boy came later. And it was kind of spaced out that way because my parents adopted five children. Um, so, and one of the things, my father was, uh, he owned a business. He was a local politician. And he used to take me to work with him. 
and that gave me exposure to a lot of different people, but particularly Cajuns. He had a business that provided logistic services to the oil and gas industry. So we would go to a place called Empire, Louisiana, which is very south of New Orleans. And it's just filled with what they call the Bayou Cajuns. And these folks worked for my dad. He would have, he would go to their homes and spend time with those if they were injured on the job. He was, you know, looking after them. And inevitably the Cajun women would take me into the kitchen as their custom is. And they give me a sweet cake and strong coffee with, with condensed milk. And they'd speak French to each other and they'd speak English to me because I knew I didn't know French. And they were a kind, they are a kind, hardworking group of people. They're proud people. They don't need a lot to be happy. Uh, but family, faith, food, and hard work really kind of sums up their culture. And so there was many a time growing up. And when I got old enough as a teenager, I began to work for my father during the summers. And we would go to places in central, south central Louisiana, like Opelousas, Lafayette, because he had jobs there. By then, he had transitioned to the construction industry, owned a construction company. And it was the same, it was the same essence of the culture, what they call the prairie Cajuns. These are the folks who aren't on the bayous. They have the vacherie or the, the, rattle, the cattle ranches. They grow rice. They convert their rice farms into crawfish ponds later on. But it was the same hard work, family, faith, food, fun, and it was always, whenever we went to somebody's house, it was the same kind of thing. The men would be in one room and talk, and the women would carry me into the kitchen. They'd feed me sweet cakes. They'd give me strong coffee with, with uh, condensed milk. Um, so it was, I listened to their tales about what they call the, the Grand Arrangement, which is the expulsion of the French from Nova Scotia by the British. Mm-hmm. That, that whole legacy is still talked about in Cajun culture today by Cajuns today. That was their roots. And it, it has helped to shape the culture and it has helped really for the, for the culture to survive today. And it has helped for these people to survive today because they're a very strong, resilient um, group of people. And, and, and having that perspective and seeing that growing up, I, I internalized a lot of that. And when times got tough for me, I reflected on their strength. I reflected on the strength of my parents. And then I was able to get through tough times and be resilient. It's something we're trying to teach our son today. So we're trying to make sure he gets exposure to the culture and our property here in Louisiana. Well, I'm so glad you touched on all of that because I think that it speaks to exposure, your development from child to adulthood, the values that were impressed upon you, as well as those you were exposed to by another culture. So I think that's wonderful. So Let's talk about, let's jump forward because I want to talk about your time in the Marine Corps and how those values applied and helped you through the Marine Corps and, and the values that you gained also through the Marine Corps. Sure. Well, obviously hard work. The work ethic is, impor- is imperative to being successful in the Marine Corps. I'm sure it is in the other services too, but I would just like to keep my comments today on my personal experiences in the Marine Corps. Um, hard work is is critical to success in the Marine Corps. It's critical to success anywhere. But being a Marine is challenging. And if you don't have the work ethic, if you don't have perseverance, the stick to itiveness, if you will, then you're not gonna you're not gonna do well in the Marine Corps. 
And so having that, watching that culture, you know, my dad getting up early in the morning to go out to a job, uh, watching these Cajun folks get up early, they would come and work for my dad during the day, and then they'd go home in the afternoon and tend to, to their fields or to their cattle, drive trucks, whatever it took to make sure their family was cared for. Being exposed to that was, was helped me, again, address those challenging times. I'm not Cajun, but it, I grew up observing a different culture. And in the Marines, in the military in general, but in the Marines, you have everybody from every background, socioeconomic background, cultural backgrounds. Uh, I had a Marine who, at 10 years old, he and his father got on a raft and, and swam from Cuba to Florida. I had another Marine who was stowed away in the cargo, the, the hull of a cargo ship, as he and his family escaped China. So these are different cultures, different perspectives. But in the Marines, what I learned is, despite the diversity, and there's significant and rich diversity, everybody can get behind a single mission and move forward as a group. And that was something that is, to me, was just incredible. You don't find that as much in the civilian sector. It seems to me that people focus too much on, oh, I'm different, so I'm going to do it this way. It's, and, and that's fine, so long as it still meets the goals of the mission. So, it, so I would say that in the Marine Corps, you know, I was also faced with oftentimes um, challenging situations. I had one peer. He was a captain. I was a captain. He was the S3 Alpha. I was the S4 Alpha. So we had to work closely together. And when I went to meet him, I'd heard a lot of good things about him. So I went to meet him and I walk up to him and I stick my hand out and I'm like, hi, I'm Captain Brown. I hear you're Captain such and such. And he, he didn't shake my hand. He just looked at me and he said, you know, I've never worked with a, a female Marine before. And I was like, well, good. I'm glad I'll be your first. And he was like, well, I just hope you won't disappoint. And I said, you know what? You have an issue, my friend, and your issue is not going to become my issue. So while that sounds, and it is rather harsh, it was a gift. It was a gift because now I knew where he stood. He made it perfectly clear where, where he stood. And I continued to work with him. I continued to be professional. But I didn't, I didn't take his, his problem with, with his lack of exposure to women personally because, again, that was his issue. And at the end of the deployment, he was like, you're one of the best Marines I've ever served with. And I was like, well, thank you. So it's, you know, you don't encounter that in the civilian sector because I'm sure of lawsuit liability. But I, the direct communication, the peer policing, being able to say what's on your mind in the Marine Corps is really liberating. And I'm sure it was liberating for him to say that. And it was certainly liberating for me to understand where he was coming from. And, and so those experiences resonate with me still to this day. And I appreciate you mentioning that because I think you know, let me touch on a couple of things that you've just said. So we're looking at common purpose, common mission. There is a communication pattern here that has been established, um, but yet you still established your role and you weren't taking on his issue. So I think that's really important because a lot of times there are many missions out there in the civilian world. There are many different sets of values, but you know exactly the purpose, the mission, the values of what is expected of you in the Marine Corps. Right. In the hierarchy in the Marine Corps, the chain of command is set up very in a very obvious way. Everybody knows who's where in the hierarchy. And it's important because it does two things. 
It makes sure that the mission is well known and can be accomplished with the enablers that are necessary to accomplish it. And it also sets the conditions for good order and discipline. Because when you have a lot of young people together and there isn't a framework for good order and discipline, then you'll have chaos pretty quickly. And this order, order and discipline, and a lot of people hear the discipline part, but good order, the good order piece of that means if a Marine's having a problem, there's a clear cut chain of command that they can go to to get help to address that problem. That's the good order part. The discipline part is if a Marine gets in trouble, there's a clear cut chain of command that needs to address that, that trouble and how to handle and discipline that Marine. So you're right, in the military, there is a clear hierarchy and a clear structure and that supports the mission. And at the end of the day, that structure, I think provides young people what they need in order to make that chaos in their personal lives and their professional lives become more orderly. And they can take that structure with them into the civilian sector where the structure isn't as, as rigid or firm or established. Right. That is what an entity like the Marine Corps actually needs because there are so many instances where you go into very difficult and demanding situations that if you were not to have that structure, there would be way too much chaos and disorder. Right. So exactly. Yeah. And discipline, you know, discipline also means doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes, you know, on deployment, you're leaving your families behind. It, it can get pretty chaotic, particularly in a combat situation. And you know that you, you know what the right thing is to do because of your training, because of the, the, the culture that you've quote unquote been raised in as a Marine. And, and so you do it, you know, you, you have restraint when it's necessary. It's not always about, about putting rounds down range. Sometimes you need to pull back and observe the situation a little longer before you make a decision about what to do. And that's where discipline comes in as well. Right. And I also think that it comes into play when you're thinking about, it's not just about you, but you're looking at your command. You're looking at your unit. You're looking at the greater good. Now you make an excellent point. And that's where, that's where it's really incredible where you have all these people from all these different walks of life come together and they're headed in the same direction with the same mission. So, so you, I mean, yeah, that's, that's an excellent point that you make. And that's what helps to keep um, that balance, right, between I'm an individual, but I'm here to serve others. I'm here to serve my country. I'm here to take care of my Marines. I'm here to take care of my buddies. I'm here to have a career so I can support my family. It does take you outside of yourself. And that, that natural tension between self and others uh, is part of the framework that we're reminded of daily in the Marine Corps. Absolutely. And, and I've seen that just being a military spouse and how we, we come together as a group, as an entity, as being a part of that military community. So not being a Marine myself, but a military spouse and being part of that culture. And so that gets me to a topic that I, I want to touch on with you. You eventually transitioned out of the Marine Corps and you got into the civilian world. You're looking for a job. But before that, and you're looking and you're trying to find a new group. Tell me about how that felt, the purpose, going from having or feeling like, okay, this was my purpose as a Marine, now going into the civilian sector and what purpose meant for you. Well, you know, the transition, I remember still, even though it was about eight years ago, there's a lot of optimism in the transition because you don't know what you don't know. I was, I was ignorant and I'm still in many ways ignorant about the civilian sector, the culture in the civilian sector, 
trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, we've talked before, you and I, about how the military culture, the Marine Corps structure, almost feels like 1950s values, personal values, teamwork, work ethic, uh, integrity, helping others. And then you get in the civilian sector and the values, it's almost like society moved farther away from those values than what's expected to a degree, not everybody, of course, but I think in, in the institutions have. And when, you're, when I was transitioning out, I was extremely optimistic. I was like, I've had a great Marine Corps career. I'm confident I can deliver to my, employee, my employer. So I went into oil and gas, another male-dominated industry. Uh, my father, like I said earlier, had a logistics company in oil and gas. So it felt somewhat familiar. But then I got into it, and I was, I was like, wait, there's, this is really bizarre. This is strange. People don't take care of each other. As a matter of fact, people really are, are competing on an individual basis instead of pulling together as a team they're competing on an individual basis and that was hard to understand and to uh, uh, to embrace i mean i understand it now it's because it's because of competition people want to if there's a layoff everybody wants it to be somebody else and not them and so the right. the better the better i do in the workplace the less likely i am to be laid off but some people take it to a degree that is really unnecessary. And I just think they don't understand that they're doing that. So I get in and the optimism is still there, but the culture is, was really sort of shocking for me. I mean, I used to talk about the purpose. I used to go in and I tell my boss, when I was a Marine, I used to go in and tell Marines, Hey, guess what we get to do today, Marines. And they'd be like, what ma'am? I'm like, we get to defend our country. We get to serve our country. And they would get motivated and hoorah, and that's great. Yes, ma'am. We get to serve each other. Yes, ma'am. That was great. So one day I was feeling a little low on motivation in, in my new civilian job in oil and gas. And I went to my boss and I was like, hey, boss, guess what we get to do today? And he's like, what? And I was like, we get to, we get to provide energy to, to our countrymen, our fellow countrymen. And he just gave me this look like, you are so strange. And I was like, yeah, I, I know, I am. I, I'm a little out there. I, I mean, I, I, even the Marines would say that, ma'am, you're a little out there. Yeah, I am. You're right. <laughs> so that motivation tactic didn't work in the civilian sector. So I have to find another way to motivate myself and those around me. And, and I mean, it, it, and, then, and then I went from oil and gas to trucking, completely different environment. Didn't appreciate the values they had there. And a, a fellow Marine that I served with, he got out and he pulled me over into the finance industry, which is now 56% women. So now my experience is inverted, but I'm still having a, so this is a different culture in the finance industry. So it's still the same thing. Find purpose, find a way to self-motivate. And, and at the end of the day, I came down to this summer, I realized, okay, I'm not going to find the same level of purpose in my, in my civilian professional life as I did when I was a Marine. You know, helping, helping your manager make their dreams come true, that's not very motivational. Right. So in, instead, I found purpose um, by writing fiction, by writing books, to bring to the forefront cultures that are not well-known, uh, cultures that are not well-understood, and that's the Cajun culture and the military culture. And Meredith, I think you bring up some very valuable issues here that many times, and I've encountered this with many service members transitioning from the military into civilian, into the civilian world, because many times if you've been apart from that civilian world, even though you function within it to a certain degree, 
the military is a certain culture. So you bring up teamwork, purpose, motivation, team motivation. But when you do that transition or make that transition, now that purpose is you have to self-motivate. You've got to find your own purpose. It's not like you have one purpose. And that's what the military is. You have that purpose. You have that mission. And you have each other. You have a team. And you really work at that together. And that is a major transition. But I like how you segued into what you've done to develop your purpose. And that's writing. So let's talk a bit more about that transition, how you became a writer, how you parlayed your, you know, your growing up experiences. And I, that's what gets me back to that question, that original question of talking about the, the culture and what that looked like for you. So how that you use that in your books and how that also helps you develop your purpose. Uh, it's, that's a great question. And, and I really appreciate it, Summer. I was between jobs, between the trucking industry and the finance industry, you know, waiting on the call that says you've been hired. And we were sitting in Louisiana and I have an English literature undergraduate degree. I'm a bookaholic. I'm a readaholic. I'm always reading. My husband and I, the first two and a half years of our marriage, he was in the Canadian Air Force. He was stationed in Europe. I was stationed in North Carolina. We did a lot of letter writing, letters, 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 handwritten letters. And he, for 10 years, had pushed me to write a book. And I, I just wouldn't, I wasn't ready to. I, I, you know, I didn't refuse. I just, it wasn't ready to. So one day I'm sitting on the porch waiting for that call that says you're hired. And he brings out a notepad and a pen and he puts them before me. And he says, now write your book. Now's the time. Write your book. And at first I was writing. Um, you have to kind of get into a rhythm of writing. It's a mindset. And at first I was writing doing writing exercises to get started. And I ha I'd had an idea about a book um, that was nonfiction and I tried to write it and it just wasn't working for me. So I was sharing with him this challenge. I was like, I don't understand why this isn't coming more easily than I had anticipated. And he said, well, he said, I'm not a writer, but I think the key to writing is to write about what you love. Cause you have to have that depth of feeling. And I was like, yes. And he's like, so aside from me and our son, what else do you love? That, that really, really hits the core of you. And I was like, well, that's easy. Louisiana and the Marine Corps. He said, then write about that. And all of a sudden, like the floodgates just opened and out came this story about a Cajun family in South Louisiana, about a man who was a Marine during the Korean war, about the challenges, uh, this, this young family, it was a mother, who was escaping an abusive husband and she could only take, she had six children and she can only take ones that she thought were in most uh, jeopardy with, with her husband. So she took the two girls and the youngest boy and they escaped to her grandmother's house in another parish in Louisiana. We don't have counties. We have parishes. Mm -hmm. So she went into another parish. She went to a place called Atacapa Island, which is a real Island and lived with her grandmother. And on the way, she met this man who was the Marine, who had left the Catholic church as a priest. He was a priest for a while. He left the priesthood and he had his own struggles and he helped them get across the water to the Island. But in the end, they helped him too. So it's this mutually supporting each other, which is what happens in Cajun culture mm -hmm. and Cajun culture. Helping your neighbor is a really big deal. It's a, it's a very big deal. And, and I think it is in a lot of agrarian cultures and a, a lot of 
cultures where the people start off in an environment that's harsh. I mean, living in the swamps and in the bayous, yeah, that's it's that's tough. That's mm-hmm. really tough, and you have to be strong and you have to help each other. And and that's and that's what comes out through this story. In this story, and one of the main characters, Evie, we watch her grow up under these conditions, and she goes off to boarding school, and that touches on my own personal experiences. Uh, she wants to go to college. She has a difficult time. They have a difficult time pulling the money together, but they end up doing it through, and again, another part of Louisiana that people don't know, through a beauty pageant at one of the festivals. Uh, Louisiana has 423 festivals across the state. Most people think they're only in New Orleans, but they're even in the smallest towns like called Mamou, okay. Eunice, Maraguin. I mean, and this one was New Iberia, the Sugar Cane Festival. And she... There's a twist to her winning, but she won the pageant and it gave her the scholarship she needed to go to a state school. And a lot of these festivals do that. They have these pageants. These pageants are are to help these young women get scholarships to go to university. And these festivals serve the purpose to bring the community together, to celebrate something they all have in common. In this case, it's the sugarcane industry that supports this community. Um, In Rain, Louisiana, they have the Frog Festival because rain was known as having more frog legs distributed mm-hmm. across the country at one point than any other place in the country. So they have the frog festival, same thing. They come together around the central theme that brings the community together and they help women earn scholarships to university. So those are some, um, some points in the book that bring together the, the Louisiana culture, the Marine Corps side, James, he's the male um, protagonist. Mm-hmm. He was a Marine during the Korean war. I wanted to bring the Korean War first because it's known as the Forgotten War. Gotcha. And, and I think a lot of our Korean War vets, I mean, the Vietnam vets had it tough because they were rejected when they got home. Right. The World War II vets were celebrated because of their tremendous victory. The Korean War vets get lost in the middle. Right. They didn't win. They didn't lose. They weren't rejected, but they weren't celebrated. So I really wanted to, to and I did some meticulous research about the Korean War and the units that were over there. And I, I, I wove those details, those facts, because I want it to be factual for the reader. Uh, but I wove that in along with insights into military culture, into Marine Corps boot camp, Paris Island, again, touching on my personal experience. And so you have these two different cultures kind of coming together, woven into this one story uh, that brings, I think, it, it highlights the best of the cultures, but it also brings forward things that aren't very good because nothing is perfect. I like that balance. I like what you brought here. And I'm going to tell you what I, I gather from much of this too. So during your description, first off, wow, what insight your husband has where he's just putting down some paper and a pen and saying, it's your time. It's time to write. And that, what a sense of support, right? And then to move on to you're having some difficulties and he says, well, you know, it may not be to, so difficult if you write on your passion and what drives you, what excites you. And then you say, hey, Marine Corps and Cajun culture, that's exciting. So here you are creating this, this wonderful book with the, the support of your husband, understanding that you're what motivates you is your passion for the Marine Corps, your passion for Cajun culture, um, for Louisiana, but also intermixed in there 
is this cool idea of values, purpose, teamwork, all that you've talked about, all that aligns with your life, here you are creating it in a book. And, and it did, Summer. When I started my job in the finance industry, I, I carried the book with me, but I, I put it aside for a bit because it's like, okay, now I got to focus on the job. I'm supporting my family. I need to focus on the job. And then it, it was tough. You know, it's like, oh my God, another, another corporation where the, the culture isn't necessarily toxic, but it certainly isn't something I look forward to every day. At least at that time, I didn't. I'm in a really good place now with a really good manager today, which is great. But the, the purpose, it was tough. Getting out of bed sometimes was tough. But when I started writing in the morning, I, now I have, a, a, I, now I can't wait to get out of bed. I jump out of bed. I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. I go to work. I give 110% to my employer because that's how I was raised. That's the example I saw with, for my dad and from the, for the people that worked for my father. This the example my mother set for us as well. So I, I give 110% in the office and then I get home and I'm writing again. And it, and it just gives me, um, it gives me a sense of purpose and my family does too. And so that for that first year that I was in North Carolina, my son was in school and we always promised to never pull him out during the school year. So he and my husband stayed in Louisiana while I was in North Carolina for that first year. And that was tough being separated, you know, something that we've kind of grown accustomed to, which is unfortunate, but that's, that's just, you know, that's how our lives have, have turned out. Right. But that having that writing and that purpose, uh, knowing that I'm supporting my family, that's kind of what helped me get through that tough year for the, another transition into an industry I know nothing about being away from my family. Writing that book was instrumental in my mental well-being. And it sounds like it. It sounds like it was just exactly what you needed to find your purpose and your rhythm. Here's the best part about it. Um, we have, we do have a Facebook page, see Marshall Turner Facebook page. And we have so many people from Louisiana, either still living in Louisiana or not. Some of them live internationally now who write to us and they were like, read your book. Wow. You really captured our culture. You know, I felt like I was home again. These, these testimonies from these readers who were able to go back in time for themselves or to relive a moment. Marines reached out to me who've read the book and they're like, you captured boot camp perfectly. That's the best part about it is that now allowing readers either for the first time be exposed to these cultures or they might be military but not Cajun or Cajun not military, exposed that cross exposure, if you will, has has been great that's and that's what kind of keeps me going i have a whole book series i'm working on about the cajun culture and military culture and um the, you know the best part is getting out to the readers who get they get something from it too oh absolutely and i love reading books or watching movies that take me back home there's something about that that just is so filling for my soul that i can touch back into where i grew up especially if you enjoyed where you grew up. Now you found in an author this connection because you describe the experience so well because you know that experience. And so that is so exciting. I can't wait to read your book and I can't wait for you to come out with more books so that you can, you know, really impact more readers. So that's exciting, exciting. So I'm getting to my last question here, Meredith. 
which is always, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Life is about the good and the not so good. And you can't allow the not so good experiences drive your behavior, drive your purpose or your vision of yourself or your idea about those around you. And the same is true about the good. If you think everything is good, I mean, you're probably going to get taken advantage of at some point. As I said earlier, there's a natural tension between self and others. I think there's a natural tension between good and not good. And I think just kind of staying in the middle is where you'll find the most fulfillment. Well, I really appreciate those words of wisdom. Thank you, Meredith, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you, Summer. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. If you would like to connect with Meredith, you can reach her at merbrown2001 at yahoo.com or check out her website at cmarshallturner.com. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.